Today, I'm not only continuing week 22 of our series on Colossians, um, but also week three of what some have termed Ladies' Month. Um, But if you're offended by the notion of women speaking in church or assume that the other 11 months aren't for women to speak, I'll kindly refer you back to Sally's message on patriarchy. But um, I've been part of this community for two and a half years, and it's really nice to be here chatting with you guys this morning. Um, Shane wanted me to um, share, I guess, a bit about my vocation and where we've seen um, empire, where we've seen that really present and how we've sought to respond to it when we do. So I work for an organisation called Tier Australia, and we're an aid and development agency Um, But what does that mean in terms of the shape of empire? Hopefully this is an image, week 22 (laughs) looks quite familiar now. Um, This is how we've been, an image that we've been using to understand empire. So what does Tia do in relation to this? Do we work with the people at the bottom of the pyramid to help them climb the ladder to improve their social and their economic situation? Or do we work with the people at the top of the pyramid to try and convince them to spare their coins so that they can trickle through the layers in the hope that the poorest of the poor may benefit from their charity? Does development try and lift the pyramid so that everyone's situation is bettered and that we essentially shift where the poverty line is but the shape of empire remains the same. I see the role of Tia, along with others in the broader church. Our mission is to try and change the shape of empire, the shape of society altogether, to subvert empire and to usher in the new reality of the kingdom of God. But this shape is hard to change. I've found through my work with Tia that there are a number of stories that we tell ourselves as Australians, particularly Australian Christians, that reinforce the shape of empire. Similar to Colossi, Paul's battle was a battle for story. The worldview, the official narrative, the Pax Romana was reinforced from Rome. And it was being challenged by the good news of Christ. The shape of society was changing. The shape of cities like Colossae, the shape of farming communities, politics, religion, the shape of households. The empire was being subverted through offering an alternative narrative. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. The poor will inherit the kingdom of God. Christ has come to set the captives free of this system but more on this later. There are stories that I've come across in my work at TIA that reinforce the shape of empire. So what are the bricks and mortar that hold this whole system together? One story that I've noticed is the poor you'll always have with you. So when Jesus said this, and Jesus did say this, was he reinforcing the shape of empire? Was he anointing such a shape and liberating us at the pointy end to just focus on worshipping him 
Because this whole hierarchy, it's unending. We're always going to have the poor with us. They're always going to be at the bottom. We're always going to be at the top. Or was his statement an assumption that if his disciples were following him, they would be surrounded by people who are marginalized. They would be surrounded by people in poverty. The former is a really dangerous narrative for the gospel. And we see it worked out in a certain fatalism in society and in the church, where any attempts to address poverty feels like a waste of time, an endless pit of need, or at best, a band-aid on a broken leg. We cannot even conceive of a world without poverty. We've got to look after our own backyard first. This story looks at the shape of empire, draws a line somewhere near the top and says that anything north of this line is our responsibility and anything south of it will just have to wait. Justice should trickle down eventually, but you'll just have to wait your turn. Once everyone north of this line is completely satisfied, we'll take your number and we'll see what we can do. We see this worked out in both personal and federal budgets where supporting aid is the lowest hanging fruit, the first to go. Keep growing. Endless growth in a world of infinite resource. This is where the pyramid becomes magically afloat on the tide of economic growth, moving us up and up and up, all up in our wealth and consumption. This story says that communities can endlessly develop their economies and that they can one day have the consumer lifestyles that we enjoy. And apparently that's what everyone wants. It ignores the realities that if everyone lived like an Australian, it would actually take three planets to sustain us. It also tells us that a growing economy is the mark of a healthy country and that if Australia isn't growing economically, even though we've taken more than our fair share of resources, then we're a failure as a country. The next one, charity makes me a good person. This narrative is a little more subtle but just as reinforcing to the shape of empire. Instead of justice, it promotes charity, where we feel good by supporting the layers of people below us, as long as it doesn't upset the shape of empire, our practices of consumption, and the power that we hold. We can see charity as an outworking of personal holiness and imagine the gold star being put on our photo on God's fridge Charity is important, but it doesn't change the system, and it can actually deafen us to the radical call to an upside-down kingdom. Burn it up. This is a quote. I know who made the environment and is coming, coming back and going to burn it all up, so yes, I drive an SUV. This is a story that the shape of empire doesn't matter because the empire is going to be destroyed anyhow. The planet, everything, earthly, gone. Physical needs don't matter. Environmental sustainability doesn't matter. The only thing that really matters for the people at the bottom of the triangle is their salvation and whether they're going to have their ticket ready for this sudden and dramatic transfer from this kingdom to the next, which for some has a strangely triangular shape to it also. This narrative is a belief 
about how our story ends and it impacts our lives today. So are these stories familiar? Do you recognise them? Are there any others that you can think of that um, reinforce this shape of empire or are there any examples that you can think of from your own life about how these stories might play out? I'll try and get back to the stories. Hang on. You get dizzy after a while. Does anybody have any thoughts about stories that are missing, narratives that are missing that reinforce empire, or any examples from your own life about how some of these stories play out? I think the idea of ownership, um, like I think especially I've got a few people in my wider circle of friends who are looking at buying their first home um, or investing in property and stuff like that, and that's great. And um, I don't think that that's I – I genuinely don't think that's bad, but um, the idea of like owning some land – and I think, like, yeah, you can own a house, like, if you build it or if it's built and you pay for the labour and it's this thing that you own. But you don't really own the land. Like, if you buy a house that's by the ocean and then a big tidal wave comes along, like, the ocean's still got its thumb on the land way more than you do and there's so much more going on. And I think we construct, especially in cities, we construct this idea of, like, we own this because we built this road and we built these tram tracks and we built these houses and we own all of this and it's ours, thank you. And it's just not true. Yeah, um, there's this, um, well, theory that you can't help people until they help themselves and a lot of people, that's why we need God, because we can't help ourselves. And if we could, we wouldn't need God. And I just think some people might think that it's an excuse, oh, well, look, this person doesn't want to help themselves, when they might not know how to help themselves. And so they have this mentality, well, you can't help someone if they don't want to help themselves. When sometimes, if it wasn't Jesus coming and making people aware that even the ones that didn't know they were in trouble, that, hey, you've got a problem. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, you know? So, yeah. Thank you. yeah. Anyone else? Um, I'm not really sure if this ties in, but I feel like we choose our leadership often from people in the very top bit of the triangle, like people that have it like economically together and have never made any major mistakes or blah, 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 like often in leadership in government and, I don't know, other organisations, we seem to choose them from the top so they don't really know what it's like to be down the bottom. I think about it in the context of mental health and how... Um, I've encountered a lot of people 
in a place that um, commonly would be called as having good mental health tend to, um, there tends to be the idea that those who don't have good mental health, um, it's their fault. And so those who do have good mental health, they own that, they, um, they've purchased that, they've acquired that and they should um, be, uh, yeah, they should be, I guess, recognised for that. Um, I'm finding it a bit hard to put it into words, but I just find that not everyone with good mental health um, has this opinion, but there is an attitude there where, um, yeah, people who have never experienced really poor mental health um, essentially look down on those who have and who do as though they've just made the wrong choices, um, they're not thinking logically about their situation and, and themselves. And so there's this idea that we'll, um, we've acquired our good mental health and you should too. Um, so there's this idea of ownership of um, mental health and I think, um, yeah, it just really um, neglects to um, recognise the privilege that those who have good mental health um, almost in every single occasion have had in their life and that's why, <laughs> that's why they can have good mental health. So, yeah, I don't know if that was clear. It's quite interesting that the, even the language we use of top and bottom, because that then confers a, a certain status. And um, I was also thinking it's interesting that it's a triangle because um, you know mathematically all sides are equal, and yet um, we assign you know people to be at the top rather than people al aligning themselves on sides and all being equal. But I mean that's the reality of how society is is um, the hierarchy of society. Thanks, guys. Bear with me while I have something to drink. For Tia, these are some of the stories that reinforce empire. They suggest that poverty is inevitable, resilient and unchanging. They are stories that suggest that addressing injustice is optional and a lower priority. They're stories of empire. So we need to be telling a different story in order to captivate the imaginations of Australian Christians. We needed to paint an image of the future reality that we were wanting, a world put to rights, empire subverted, the kingdom of God. So many movements have done this really well. Um, they've achieved social change by projecting the image that they're seeking. So whether it is the peace movement of the 1960s. Let's try and get... Hopefully that looks somewhat familiar. Um, marriage equality, which is a movement that has been using um, images of equal love and the inevitability framing to um, get their message across. The civil rights movement, dreaming of a day when the sweltering heat of oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice, when Martin Luther King's four little children 
will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. So you can hear these movements painting images of the future reality that they're seeking. It's something that invites us and draws us into something new. But we don't seem to be able to even conceive of a world without poverty, a world that isn't the Pax Romana, a world outside of the dominant frame. So Tia created for tomorrow. And perhaps it's the realities of working with the poorest of the poor and having to look um, our partners in the eyes and and, um, make cuts to funding after we've had funding cuts ourselves. Um, But it's actually really a struggle to imagine a reality of a world without poverty to actually paint that picture. It's sometimes too hard to see past the dominant frame on our own to imagine. So, like every social movement throughout history, we turn to this generation's poets, our prophets, our artisans. One poet who you'll know very well, um, John McCarrow, helped us imagine the tomorrow that we're seeking. And we're just going to watch a clip now of his. So this is Tia attempting to do prophetic imagination, which we'll talk about. I met a man who saw the world differently, sat cross-legged at his feet and he told me, remember the past, but cast your eyes forward, for tomorrow our hope shall be a louder voice than our apathy. Our apathy shall finally take a step forward. Our steps forward shall lead us somewhere, mean something, hold meaning like friends, hold each other crying. I am crying for this world to change. Tears of empathy and sometimes apathy, I cry today for tomorrow. Even these tears shall be wiped from our faces, lift your cheeks, though they are wet, there is one who shall collect them, yet hold them in his hands and call it the ocean, beckon you to set sail, turn your face to the horizon, for tomorrow the nooses drawn tight around the necks of the oppressed will be like halos, like the saints around their heads are guiding light for the rest of us, let us see the way forward comes not through power and politic, but through small acts of courage and change change, change, change us like loose coins are never going to fix this problem so let us go deeper than just charity change us like sweatshops closing change us like politicians stop posing, change us like half the women of the world don't have to be abused, change us like somebody has to stand up for tomorrow we shall not just talk of gender equality but rather women who in total work two thirds of the world's working hours will one day get paid more than just 10% of the world's income for tomorrow. We imagine a day when corners do not exist. Those years of muddy lips pressed against white skin, the many times she'd lie under the weight of a man's insecurity, forced into slavery fingers that rub bruises into her flesh as the sweat of large men stain her breasts that are the tools of her trade street worker taking tricks on her corner. Imagine a day when corners do 
do not exist. For tomorrow, the weapons will be piled high and tanks left dry, drones in the sky, no more. We turn their swords into plowshares. I make a garden from your M16. I irrigate the earth from your death machine and hold out to you a meal for us all to sit at the same table. For tomorrow, Israeli and Palestinian shall sit down and have dinner again. The rich shall eat with the poor and the oppressor with the oppressed and they shall talk of forgiveness truth and reconciliation. For tomorrow, the betrayed shall no longer seek revenge and revenge shall no longer be found in the dictionary and neither shall poverty nor infant mortality nor hungry nor thirsty nor children searching through waste dumps, oil pumps leaking the ocean, 21 million in slavery no more. For tomorrow, we live in color. For tomorrow, we dance on the streets. For tomorrow, we look the other in the eye. For tomorrow, we embrace. For tomorrow, we are set free. For today we crawl on our hands and knees believing the tomorrow we are seeing stretch our eyes forward, move our limbs, turn our heads toward the sound of liberation. We wait and this waiting is an ache and this ache is a burden, heavy and hopeful. This ache is a back scratch, never quite reaching that sweet spot and so we keep on scratching. sudden end to that. <laughs> That's fine. Um, hopefully you heard in there some images that captivated your imagination of a world put to rights. I make a garden from your M16. I um, irrigate the earth with your death machine. I hand out to you a meal. Like these images that really um, evoke in us, invite us to something new. This, I feel, is Tia's task, um, along with the church, along with other agencies, um, to really help Australian Christians imagine a different reality. God has also been foreshadowing, prophesying a new reality, captivating our imaginations with how things will be one day. Well, hopefully this will work. Okay, oh, it's gone back to where it was. That's nice. Isaiah 2, a day when we will beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks, when nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will we train for war anymore. A day when we will lie down in safety, when we will be betrothed to righteousness and justice in love and compassion. A day when the tree of life will produce healing for every nation. A day when every tear will be wiped from every eye. There will be no more death or suffering or crying or pain. A day when he is making everything new. And Jesus also invites us to a new era. He constantly through the Gospels was saying the kingdom of God is here and he paints it for us. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who sows a seed. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like treasures hidden in a field. And finally, Paul in Colossians 
talks about these things being a shadow of the reality to come. We're to set our hearts on the things above, Paul says in Colossians 3. Set your hearts on, dwell on, imagine the things to come. This is not a dualism of natural and spiritual, you know, and that's how we might understand it on the first reading. But I believe it's actually a contrast between the now and the not yet. The kingdom of heaven is here now, but it's also not yet. You'll see glimpses of it. But look forward to Christ if you want an image that will capture your imagination, that will invite you forward, that will pull you forward for an image of tomorrow, a reality not yet fully realized. Empire holds no value on you, so look to Christ. This is what I think Paul was trying to say. Prophetic imagination, Walter Brueggemann argues, is the task of imagining outside the dominant story. We see it happening in Isaiah, in Hosea, in Colossians, and through the life and ministry of Christ. Subversive imagination is difficult. It is difficult to think of an alternative to everything that we've always known. It's a very difficult task. But we're actually going to try doing that now. (laughs) Um, So on your own, I want you to spend just a couple of minutes... Thinking back to maybe some of the examples that were used before or an example in your own life of how you've seen stories of empire play out in your life or in your community. Um, Perhaps it might have been around uh, Vaynard's talk on nationalism or conversations around consumerism and household and patriarchy, media. What are some of your thoughts of how empire is playing out? Once you've got that image, I want you to imagine an alternative story that will subvert the dominant narrative, foreshadow a different reality, a reality different as a result of knowing the person of Jesus. Paint this picture. What does it look like? What emotion does it evoke? So for example, in my life, the kingdom of God is like my kitchen bench, a place of invitation, welcome, safety, healing for all kinds of people, a place where I have the time and space in my life to make you a cup of tea and that we can share each other's burdens, a place of laughter and tears. In my work, I imagine communities who were once burdened by poverty, flourishing and free. I see glimpses of it in the life of a Nepali woman outside of Kathmandu who was so proud of her goat herding business. The kingdom of God is like her and I sitting down together and enjoying goat's yogurt that she's made. Um, In the book Colossians Remixed, Brian Brian Walsh and Sylvia Keysmat talk about, imagine a country proudly announcing that they have made no growth on their GDP this year. They've got enough resources, they're just going to use them and steward them better, (laughs) Um, and announcing that as something to be proud of, um, that they've got enough, that they don't need any more. In fact, they're just going to try and be more generous with what they have. Those are some images that seem so far out of our dominant story, Um, but this is a task of prophetic imagination. So spend a couple of minutes thinking around an image of something that is empire in your world and then um, 
spend a couple of minutes talking as a table um, and and uh, we'll actually um, do communion during this time as well and I'll get you guys to paint that picture. So firstly, just spend some time alone and then I'll, I'll direct you from there. And while you guys are thinking, I'm going to put on... Um, a song that you'll all know well, and I realise that some of the phrases might be problematic for people, but talk about um, singer-songwriters actually painting an image of a tomorrow that they were looking for. got that image in your mind um, or you've been able to write it down. There's some little notepads in the bowls. Should we say that before? Um, now I want you guys to share as you share communion. Um, what is your image? Paint the picture for the people at your table. Captivate their imaginations. Invite them to something. Invite them to a reality beyond what we see now. And as you do, um, I, I, yeah, I think it's kind of special that we're sharing communion while we're doing this because I can imagine um, that in those early days of the early church when Christ was actually saying, do this in remembrance of me, um, it's to keep fresh in their minds what the kingdom of God is like. So I encourage you guys as you share to share communion as well.
if you haven't already, if you wanted to share communion with your table and pray together, it would be great. And then we'll keep going with the service. Everyone's finished. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Shane, B, everyone. <laughs> so just as Tia needed help from prophets and poets to imagine a reality different from the official story, I think that we also need help in, as a faith community from our modern-day prophets, our songwriters, our poets, our playwrights, painters, sculptors, graphic designers. Help us imagine a reality that subverts empire. This is an actual plea. (laughs) Please help us do this well. Um, Things like Sunday Story Club that get us into good narrative um, imagining. That's important and... um, Yeah, we need more people telling different stories. I think we made a start today, but my hope is that from this, you'll be able to um, look at each other's imaginations, um, look at the pictures that people are painting, um, and together we're going to collect them and help it take us beyond ourselves. And I'm hoping that the result will be poetry and plays and stories and paintings and songs that will permeate our community that will, will inspire us to, um, to a world that's different. I, I'm hopeful that the result of that will be a shape that's different. Um, I'm aware that the people in this room, you know, we do reflect generally people at the very pointy end of empire. So as we do this exercise of prophetic imagination, I encourage you to imagine with people that aren't like us, that do not fit in that pointy end of power and privilege. Um, Imagine with them a world that's different. In the meantime, before all those plays are written, I'd love to experiment with a photo challenge, and this is a bit of homework for us this week on our Facebook page. Let's share images with one another in the next couple of weeks that capture our imagination, glimpses of the kingdom to come, images that subvert empire and offer an alternative story, images that will pull us into a tomorrow 
of justice, hope, and peace. I'm going to pray for us now, um, and then I'm going to ask Anita to come up and give us the benediction. God, I... I thank you that you have come to set the captives free, that the shalom that you have painted throughout history is not just an idea that captures our imagination, but it's a reality. It's the world that is coming and has come. Help us even conceive of this. Help us understand it. Help us think outside of the dominant story that we live in. Um, God, I thank you for this community. And, um, yeah, I just pray for us as we do this very hard task of prophetic imagination. In your holy name, amen. you, Beth. Uh, The benediction is from Colossians 3, 16 to 17. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And may you all pass a wonderful week uh, in the Lord's grace. And amen.